right, good to see everybody here this morning. Did everyone have an awesome time at Sukkot? Yeah. Does anyone here have that, like, cringing when you get in that, take that first shower? The first shower feels so awesome, but it's like, oh, I'm losing the campfire smell. Like, that's so bittersweet, you know? So the first shower feels amazing, but then I get out and my beard doesn't smell like campfire anymore. My clothes go through the wash and then they come out smelling like something that's not campfire. <sighs> my, my daughter's been running around the house with her sweatshirt all week. <laughs> she likes that campfire smell. All right, so glad you guys are back. Uh, glad to, uh, you know, celebrate Shabbat with you here today. Um, we, uh, we've got some announcements to go through here. Um, so uh, for those of you that uh, have a bulletin, you can follow along. For those that don't, uh, you're going to have to keep up with me. Okay, so um, first thing, on the 20th, we will be going to, uh, anyone who wants to go, uh, we'll be going down to Dallas to open up HFF DFW. Okay, so that is going to be an amazing, exciting time. Um, so their service starts at 3 o'clock, so we kind of have to book it out of here uh, after we're done with our service on that day. That's in two weeks. And so what we're going to do, we're going not have an oneg that week. So please be aware. Uh, don't bring your food unless you plan on eating it in the car on the way there, okay? So uh, with that, we're going to be, uh, you know, as soon as we're done here, uh, we're going to head on out and head down to Dallas and join them for their opening service. Uh, so, uh, in addition to that, then we're going to get to see Ed, not only down there, but he's coming up here in November. Um, it will be on November 3rd. So, a couple of weeks after that, Ed and Hava, his wife, will both be here. They're going to be doing a marriage seminar. Part one will be here at HFF. Part two will be at Bed and Me across town at, uh, at three o'clock, okay? So, uh, be sure to, uh, invite people to that and come out to that and everything. Um, we also have uh, next uh, next Saturday, the 13th, um, at 1230, so that would be right after service, um, there is a um, color run slash walk slash, um, uh, you know, kind of meander um, that will be taking place. It's a fundraiser. It's for the Eden Clinic, which is a clinic that helps uh, young pregnant ladies, Okay. Um, and so we have, um, you know, been to Eden Clinic before to help them with their landscaping and things of that nature. They do a wonderful um, work there, okay? So we like to support them. So there is a fundraiser uh, that's taking place for them where it's a color run slash walk, okay? Um, you have to pre-register for that. Please see uh, the Drews, Stephen and Alicia Drews, for more information. Um, Stephen's number is here in the bulletin if you want to contact him for that. Uh, you have any questions on that? Uh, also, on the 21st, so this is the day after we go to Dallas, okay? So the 21st, two weeks from now, that's on a Sunday. There is a ladies' event. Uh, it's coffee, tea, and treats event, okay? So see Melissa for more. Um, she's going with that whole autumn, fall theme and that kind of thing, okay, which she absolutely loves. Uh, we also, of course, then in uh, October 28th is the, uh, at the end of the month, the ladies' prayer meeting at the Fricker's home, uh, 10 a.m. on the 28th. And then we have the men's prayer bre breakfast on the 11th of November at 9 a.m., uh, at uh, Monte Judas home. So um, we've got those things. Also, um, the Frickers will be starting up their Bible study once again, and that will take place on Thursdays at 6.30 p.m. And this time it's James, 
which, which book? Matthew. Matthew. The book of Matthew. Okay, so they'll be doing the book of Matthew this time. So uh, call the Frickers at this phone number here with any questions. And the youth are regathering. Uh, they will be meeting this Thursday, the 11th. And um, that's this Thursday, right? Yeah, today's the 6th or something like that, right? Okay, so uh, they'll be meeting this Thursday at, at the 11th uh, at the Ophel's home. And that takes place at uh, 6.30-ish. Yes, I'm hearing a yes. Okay, so 6.30 on the 11th uh, for the youth, uh, anyone ages 13 to 19, make sure that you uh, join that. So um, last thing, we have new on the table back there, new Torah portion cards. Okay, so if you don't have one of these, grab one of these on the, on the table back there. Um, this takes you through a schedule of all the different readings there are for the, uh, through the year as we read through the Bible. So uh, make sure you grab one of those. Okay, we'll, we'll get that for you next week. Okay. All right, so with that, uh, let's uh, stand, greet one another, and uh, as they would say, uh, you know, give everyone a holy handshake or something like that.
have a great time at Sukkot? Well, two or three or four of you did. I don't know about the rest of you. <laughs> I did. It was a great time. I didn't want to come back. <clears throat> it makes me long for the real one. Amen. All right. We've got some praise reports to give this morning and a few prayer requests. Uh, Patrice, we've been praying for her for a long time, passed her physical. So, amen. So that means she can go back to work. Your vacation is over, Patrice. <laughs> All right, well, praise God for that, huh? And, you know, Chad got a job. There are some things that we need to with it but for a while uh, for a little bit now he's going to have to work on the sabbath so we need to pray for that until they get some things uh, uh, done that will allow him to come back on the sabbath again so we need to be praying for that also uh, chad needs a lot of things for to furnish the place he's staying at so if any of you have some excess furniture of any kind and you don't know what to do with it, and you are willing to, you can talk to Chad, 
uh, and uh, I'm sure he will let you know if he can use it or not. He has he has plenty of things for the kitchen, but the rest of his place is pretty empty. So <laughs> if you have anything, let him know, okay? He'd appreciate it. We need to keep praying for the circus that we call our government. Even though we were at Sukkot, we still kind of kept up with the with the, what's going on. So today, this afternoon, is the vote on Kavanaugh for the Supreme Court. So we need to be praying that God accomplishes his will in this situation in spite of all the things that is going on, right? Yeah, this is a very, very important decision because it will affect your children, literally will affect your children and maybe your grandchildren as to who gets on the Supreme Court. Need to pray for a friend uh, of Virginia's by the name of Joe Marie. She's in the, she has, uh, she did something to her leg and so the doctors are looking at have to, having to amputate part of her leg and that will take place on Monday. So we need to pray for Joe Marie, pray for the doctors, uh, pray for uh, that it all goes well and that uh, the surgery accomplishes what it needs to accomplish, okay? She's 71 years old, so uh, when you get older like that, I know because I'm almost there, it takes a longer time to heal, and so we need to be praying for that. I met somebody at Sukkot who was telling me about their pastor and down in Texas and he used to pastor a regular church and then he became messianic and as a result of that he only has 10% of his congregation left because the rest of the people left and so we really need to pray for him the Lord knows who he is I don't know his name I don't know the name of his church but the Lord knows who he is, and we need to pray for him. That's quite a sacrifice that he's had to make to change over it because he now knows what the truth is. And uh, so we need to pray for him and for his family, for his congregation. Uh, all right? I think that does it. We had a great Sukkot. We can praise God for that. The weather was awesome. And... Uh, so I'm going to give you a few minutes to pray for these things, and then I will close this. Father, we thank you for this time when we can get together and pray to come before your throne, knowing that not only do you hear our prayers, but you answer them. So we come in faith, believing what your word has said, we come expecting you to do great and mighty things. We ask that you bless the rest of this service, that it might be pleasing in your sight. I pray that each of us would be blessed by what goes on this morning, by the word that you have for us from the individuals that will be teaching us, Open up our hearts and minds, Father, to what it is that you have to say to us. 
And I pray especially for those of you who are visiting here this morning that this might be a, a time of blessing for you and that the Lord will speak to you in a mighty way this morning. So, Father, we commit this time to you, and we thank you for what you're going to accomplish. And we ask this in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Carlos. <clears throat> Who knows what the Torah portion is this week? Bereshit. First cycle. New, brand new cycle. First Torah portion. And it's got me excited. Anybody else excited about restarting the Torah portions? Awesome. So, Bereshit. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, I'd like to start with a question. Who believes God is without beginning or end? Everyone should raise their hand, hopefully. <laughs> but, so if he's without beginning or end, how can there be a beginning? In the beginning, God created. Well, if God is before the beginning, he has no beginning, how can there be a beginning, essentially? So I'd like to pose that question to you in light of today. And as I began looking into this, um, it's, it really brought out a lot of um, things in Genesis 1 that are very unique. And so the Torah portion for today is Genesis 1 through Genesis, Genesis 6, verse 4, I believe. But I really wanted to just focus, it, focus in on Genesis 1 today. Now, Genesis 1, the style of literature that it's written in is actually poetry. Jewish sages and rabbis and Christian Bible scholars from everywhere have all noted that this style of literature is poetry, and it is very unique in that way. And so, an alternative reading of Genesis 1-1 could be when God began creating because God exists before the beginning, it is more about this is the moment in which time began. God begins creating. Now, Genesis 1, um, is anyone in here, hopefully, familiar with Dina Dye? Yeah, she was at Sukkot and taught, and I love a lot of what she says, and she talks about Genesis 1 as a temple text. And one of the ways in which it is a temple text is because it's all about separation. So in Genesis 1, God separates the light from the darkness. He separates the sky and the sea. And he separates day from night. And separation occurs five different times in just Genesis 1. And so the point of separation, and really the theme behind separation is holiness. Holiness is all about separation. So Genesis 1 is about holiness and represents a larger scheme of holiness going on in the midst of creation. Now when God separates light from darkness, he creates spaces. So day one, he creates the heavens and the earth. So there's just an empty space. There's not, it's not filled with stars. It's not filled with planets. And he creates the earth. It's really not filled with anything. Day two, he creates the sky, the more the blue sky per se, not necessarily outer space, if you will. 
and it's not filled with anything. He creates the sea, the water, it's not filled with anything, and he creates land. And on day four, he fills what he created on day one. He fills the heavens with stars and planets. On day five, he fills the sky with birds and the sea with sea creatures. And on day six, he fills the land with creeping things and animals that go along the earth. So it's this unique pattern of creating a space, creating a space, creating a space, and then filling the first space he created, filling the second space he created, and filling the third space he created. And he's filling these spaces with things that he calls tov. These things are good. He's filling these spaces he's creating with good things. Amen? Now, another unique facet of Genesis 1 that I've always found very unique and kind of excites me is that God is not sole creator in Genesis 1. He invites his creation, rather, to participate in the creation he's doing. Verse 11 says, let the earth bring forth vegetation. See, he's inviting his creation to engage in this powerful work that he's doing. Verse 20 says, let the waters bring forth swarms of living creatures. Verse 24, let the earth bring forth living creatures of every kind. So, God is not a God who delights. This is so powerful. I don't want anyone to miss this. Genesis 1 is full of strong and powerful theology. It's saying that from the foundations of the earth, God is a God who invites his creation to participate in the work he's doing. He is not a God. Genesis 1, first chapter, revealing the character of God being someone who delights and invites his creation to partake in his work in the world. He's not someone who does it all on his own, though he could, but his relationship with his creation is so intimate, and he is a relational and foundationally loving God that he invites his creation to partake in the work he's doing in the world. Now, one last um, snippet that I really enjoy about Genesis 1 is the way in which it compares to other ancient Near Eastern um, uh, Genesis accounts, if you will. So Genesis 1 was not the only creation text in the ancient Near East. There were many other Sumerian, Egyptian, um, and Babylonian texts. And one is the called the Enuma Elish. And it is the epic where it's Babylonian, and it was discovered in the middle of the 19th century when excavators and archaeologists were unearthing, let me read his name before I mispronounce it, King Ashurbanipal's library in Nineveh. Um, And he lived during the 7th century BCE. And essentially this, this narrative, the Enuma Elish, this Babylonian creation account, there's, let's say, a chief god, Marduk, and he has this family. This, these other gods are in his family, and there's chaos everywhere. There's chaos, and they're all fighting. 
And what happens is Marduk ends up slaying Tiamat, which represents the sea. Um, her name, Tehom, um, it would be an Akkadian, Tehom, Tiamat, and Tehom is the Hebrew word for sea. So there's an interesting connection there, but he ends up slaying Tiamat, and he solves the issue of violence, or sorry, I already gave you the punchline. <laughs> he solves the issue of chaos through violence. Now in the Genesis account, the earth was formless and void. Say tohu vabohu. Tohu vabohu. And this is an interesting concept in Judaism that so many different rabbis in the Talmud and in the Mishnah have just expounded upon, and it's a big, big, um, it's a big, I guess, issue or subject that is studied in Judaism today. And if you want, like, a never-ending wormhole of subjects to study, I suggest tohu vabohu. <laughs> but God ends up solving, in the Genesis account, chaos through structuring, through order, through inviting his creation and ordering the world in a way that is good rather than just violently coming against all these other forces. So God structures, God engages instead of just slaying this other God and then creating the world out of her flesh, which is what the Babylonian text says. And so... I want us to recognize that since the beginning, since the beginning of Israel's history and their written history in Genesis 1, they recognize God as creating good things. They recognize God as engaging his creation and inviting his creation to partake in the world in his heart and what he wants to do in the world. And that God, our God, the God of Israel, does not solve the issue of chaos through violence. He solves the issue of chaos through structuring and ordering and using us in the world. And may we take that responsibility very seriously. Bow your heads with me. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for preserving your word. Thank you for the men and women who have sacrificed their lives and their well-beings to preserve this word. Yeshua, thank you for, for manifesting your perfect word and coming to us in the midst of our own sin and our own downfallenness and our own depravity and giving us grace that even allowed us to respond to you before we even could recognize it. Lord, may we take your work in the world seriously and may we take our responsibility as bringing forth your kingdom in this world seriously. For you invite us to participate in the work you're doing in the world. May we be your hands. May we be your feet. We pray all these things in Yeshua's powerful name. Amen. Let's bring up all of the uh, children. Let's pour out a blessing upon them on this Sabbath day as we always look to them as being unmerited favor from the Lord.
right. What beautiful smiling faces we have. Maybe actually not so loud. They might be a little bit tired. Like we all are getting back from uh, such a wonderful time at Sukkot. Let us go before the Lord. Heavenly Father, we come before you on this Sabbath day. We thank you once again for this appointed time, this holy convocation to come together on a weekly basis, on a weekly basis, Father, for giving us this place, this facility, this uh, sacred space, Lord, that we can have that convocation, that we can meet with our fellow brethren, our fellow believers, Lord. We thank you for all these blessings, Father, and we especially thank you at this time for the beautiful children that are before us, Lord, the unmerited favor that they are and the grace that you have given to us, Lord, in each and one of these beautiful souls that you have entrusted in our care. Father, I pray that you would always give us the wisdom, the knowledge, the courage, and the strength, Lord, to take care of these children as they need. Father, may we always have your words of wisdom, Lord, to speak life into them, Lord. Any of the parents, the fathers, the mothers, the elders, grandparents, Father, anyone who has an opportunity to speak life into these children, Father, I pray that it always be words of life and encouragement, and may they always be your words and your words alone, Father. Father, we lift up the sons, Father, and may, them be, may they be as Ephraim and Manasseh. May they be fruitful and multiply, Father. And Father, we lift up the daughters to be as Ruth and as Esther, Lord. Make them righteous daughters of Zion. Father, we thank you, Lord. And Father, may we learn from them, Lord, as you have said, to have faith like a child. In the same way a child clings to the leg of their parent, Father, in, when they are in need. <clears throat> may we cling to you, our Heavenly Father, Lord for all of the things and all the struggles and trials and tribulations that we might face. So, Father, we thank you, Lord, for the beautiful children that we have before us. We thank you for our families. And, Father, we thank you for the new growth and the new life and the rebirth that we have as we start a new Torah cycle. And, Father, as we look to our children as they continue to grow in you. So we love you, bless you, and thank you on this Sabbath day. We give you all the honor, the glory, and the praise in this place. In Yeshua's name, amen. Speaking of children and blessing, the Keelings are expecting another one. Congratulations to the Keelings. That's exciting. When I told Aaron congratulations this morning, he gave me that look. And I said, I know exactly what you're feeling. <laughs> Uh, excitement, trepidation, fear, joy, uh, yeah, all of it. But it's awesome. This is, uh, you know, a time when we're renewing the Torah cycle. It's a new year of, of readings, new time of going through the scriptures again, and here symbolized by a new life in our, our midst as well, so... Uh, this week's reading starts off, Bereshit bara Elohim et hashmayim et haretz. We're familiar with this. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. goes on to say, as Gage touched on, the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the spirit of Elohim was moving over the surface of the waters. Then Elohim said, let there be light, and there was light. Elohim saw that the light was good, and Elohim separated the light from the darkness. Elohim called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, one day. 
Now, there's a lot of very interesting things that we could talk about in just those first several verses. But I'd like to focus on one thing here today. Specifically, the very first words that Adonai utters. Let there be light. He didn't start with the dry ground coming out of the midst of the waters. He didn't start with the creation of mankind. Although those things take place as we read on. He started the entirety of creation with, let there be light. And then it says that he saw that the light was tov, that it was good. This is the very first reference to calling anything good. That he sees that the light is good. So the very first reference we have on something being good is in reference to light. Consider this. Our creator is so powerful that he simply spoke the word light. And there was light dispelling the darkness. Now the thing about light that's so interesting is when you walk into a dark room Light chases away the darkness. Nothing will overcome light except removing that light. Darkness can't overcome light. No matter how dark the darkness, as long as there is light, one can see. This helps us to understand when the Apostle John starts off his gospel. He starts it in this fashion. In the beginning was the Memorah, the Word. And the Word was with Elohim. And the Word was Elohim. He was in the beginning with Elohim. Now we just read about the beginning. In the beginning, he was with him. All things came into being through him. Would that include light? And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness And the darkness did not comprehend it, is how my NASB reads. Other versions say, cannot overcome it. You see, Messiah has been around since the beginning. Nothing has been created except through him. The light was created through him. And he is that light. Now, the prophet Isaiah takes this theme and runs with it. Many, many times Isaiah in particular, of all the prophets, talks about the role of light and how it's referred to, referring to Messiah. He makes many references to light and its role in the world. He makes these repeated allusions to the coming Messiah as being that light. Examples, Isaiah 42, verses 5 5 through 7, it says... Thus says the El Adonai, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and its offspring, who gives breath to the people on it 
and spirit to those who walk in it. Now, stopping there, he just described what we just read in Genesis chapter 1. The creation of the world, the creation of the earth and its offspring, breathing life into people and putting his spirit into those who are walking on the planet. I am Adonai, I have called you in righteousness. I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you. I will appoint you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon, and those who dwell in darkness from the prison. So the role here of light, according to Isaiah, being a light to the nations opens blind eyes, brings out prisoners from dungeons, and sets free those who are dwelling in darkness. We read on seven chapters later, Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6. He says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant. This is speaking, this is Adonai speaking to his Messiah, his anointed one. It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Yaakov and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a light of the nations so that my salvation, so that Yeshuati may reach the end of the earth. So that my Yeshua will reach the ends of the earth. We see 11 chapters later, in chapter 60, verses 1 through 3. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of Adonai has risen upon you. We sang a song today where we asked, show us your glory. He's done so in the form of the light, Messiah, Yeshua. For behold, darkness will cover the earth and deep darkness the peoples. Yet another reference to Tohu Vabohu. The darkness covering, the chaos covering the entire creation. But Adonai will rise upon you and his glory will appear on you. Nations will come to your light. And the kings to the brightness of your glory. We look further in this chapter, verses 19 and 20. It says, No longer will you have the sun for light by day, nor for brightness will the moon give you light. Now this is a time when Isaiah is moving into a description of the kingdom that is to come. But you will have Adonai for an everlasting light, and your Elohim for your glory. Your sun will no longer set, nor will your moon wane. For you will have Adonai for an everlasting light, and the days of your mourning will be over. There will be no more weeping, only rejoicing. This is the day that is all Shabbat. That is, this is the day that is all Sukkot. This is that day when he will be our light. The Apostle John, when receiving his vision from Adonai about what the kingdom would look like, said this in Revelation 21, verses 22 through 24. I saw no temple in it. That is in the New Jerusalem. For Adonai Elohim and the, the Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. 
And the city has no need of the sun of the moon to shine on it. For the glory of Elohim has illumined it. And the lamp is the lamb. The nations will walk by its light. And the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. So John is seeing the same thing that Isaiah is seeing. In looking at that kingdom that is to come. That place that we are striving for. That place that we're longing for. When he establishes his kingdom. And we walk into his kingdom. And we tabernacle with him. At that point there will be no more mourning. There will only be rejoicing. There will be no need for the sun, the moon, and the stars. Because the lamb will be our light. Somebody get excited about this. Because here's the thing. Literally from the beginning. Bereshit. To the end, Revelation, the entirety of Scripture revolves around Messiah, the light of the world. The entire thing is about Him. We can't understand. Let there be light. We cannot understand from the very beginning unless we understand who that light is. It's only with the understanding of that light it's only with that light that I can read this word that he's given me. One chapter later, coming back to Isaiah, this is one we're all familiar with. Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. The spirit of Adonai Elohim is upon me because Adonai has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted, to bring the gospel to the afflicted. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners. Didn't we just read that in Isaiah 42? That the function of the light is to bring freedom to prisoners and to set those who are captive free. We see here a consistent running theme. The light of Messiah is what delivers prisoners from their bondage. It sets free the captive. It breaks the chains that the of darkness that imprisons people. Here's the thing. Darkness is paralyzing. Light is freedom. I've heard Monty tell the story about a cave. And there's this tours that go into this cave. And when you get deep enough into this cave, there is no light. And they have, the tour guides have everyone shut off their flashlights and lamps. And you're in complete darkness. But the tour guide's role is, rule rather, he cannot allow that light to be snuffed out for more than about a minute. Because people start losing their stuff. Darkness brings fear. If you can't tell where you are, if you can't even see your hand in front of your face, if you have no perception of what is around you, what is in front of you, what is behind you, that causes fear. It's the light that gives us the freedom to be able to see what's before us, what's behind us. It illumines our path. It takes fear out of the equation. It's light that sets us free. 
Messiah knew this. He knew the reference in Isaiah. And so it says in Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 21, as he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on Shabbat and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Yeshiahu, Isaiah, was handed to him. And he opened the book and found the place where it is written, Isaiah 61. The spirit of Adonai is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and to set free those who are oppressed to proclaim the favorable year of Adonai. And he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And all the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. You see, if you're in the dark, and all of a sudden a light shines, where do your eyes go? To that light. We talk about the proverbial light at the end of the tunnel, right? Let's hope it's not a train. That light at the end of the tunnel, because when in a tunnel, you're surrounded by darkness, and that light is your hope. But that light is also your goal. Because you know the only way out of this tunnel is towards the light. And so we set our eyes on that light. And we move towards that light because it's our goal. Because it's going to set us free from the situation that we're in. It's going to set us free from the darkness that we find ourselves surrounded by. It's only the light that can accomplish that. When we further examine the life of Yeshua, four chapters later, uh, actually in the book of John, chapter 8, verse 12, then Yeshua again spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. He is the light at the end of the tunnel. You see, when we follow him, we go towards that light, we will no longer be in darkness. But instead, when we're in him, that light covers us. Four chapters later, John chapter 12, verses 44 through 46. And Yeshua cried out and said, He who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. He who sees me sees the one who sent me. I have come as light into the world, so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. Now this helps us to understand a bit better when Psalm 119 makes the statement that we're all familiar with. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Who is that word? In the beginning was the word. And that word was with Elohim and was Elohim. And he is the light to the nations. It is Messiah himself who illuminates the word for us and gives us understanding into its meaning and message. He is the lamp unto our feet and the light unto our path. We cannot fully comprehend the significance of scripture except 
if he illuminates it to us by revealing himself to us through every word. Even those Aleph Tavs. You see, this is what I imagine happened in the Emmaus Road experience. Because the two disciples were walking down the road and they were depressed. They had just seen their hope destroyed. They had just seen their Messiah, their Master, killed. And they're despondent. And what happens? Messiah, the light of the world, appears to them, although they don't know it. And he starts revealing to them, beginning with Moshe and through all the prophets, things about himself. Because every word from the beginning to the end is about Messiah. It all points to him. It was with this in mind that Peter recorded these words in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for Elohim's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For once you were lo ami, not a people, but now you are the people of Elohim. You had not received mercy, lo ruchama, but now you have ruchama, received mercy. See, it's only in Messiah that that light allows us to make the proper choices so that we can see clearly that we might receive that mercy. It was also with this in mind that the Apostle John penned these words in 1 John Chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light. And I can never read that without thinking of DC Talk. We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Yeshua, his son, cleanses us from all sin. When? When we walk in the light. When we are in him, he cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. And the truth is not in us. However, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, this is a repetition of what Peter said. Because in Messiah, the light of the world, we receive mercy. We're imputed righteousness by that very light. But without him, we don't have access. And we misunderstand what the entire point is. Because it's all about him. This is the context of John's famous words in chapter 3 of his epistle, which we're all familiar with. As Moshe lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. For Elohim so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, 
that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For Elohim did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has already been judged because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of Elohim. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light. For their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in Elohim. So that begs the question, if we claim to be in the light, shouldn't it become obvious according to this? Shouldn't we be known by our deeds bringing glory unto Adonai? May we be known as a people who practice the truth and walk in the light. May we find ourselves walking in the light just as he is in the light. I want to be in the light. And indeed, he is the light itself. May his light shine within us and may we become a beacon of light, not put under a basket, but shining from the highest point so that that light might be a beacon to the lost, the dying, the sick world we're surrounded by. And may they be drawn to the light within us, to the glory of the Father. Without the light of the world, we would all be in darkness. We would all be in fear because we would be surrounded by that light. All praise, thanks, and glory be unto the one who, in his infinite wisdom, determined that the very first words he would speak over all of creation would be, let there be light. Thanks be to the Father who has sent his son, Yeshua HaMashiach, into the world from the very beginning to be our light. The one who is the A and the Z. The Alpha and the Omega. The Aleph and the Tav. The beginning and the end. He was there in the beginning. He will be there in the end. When we walk into the kingdom, he will be there to greet us. Because it's all about him. He is the light of the world. And he was, from the beginning, the one who created that light that we might receive mercy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and how your word points to your salvation, to Yeshua T. Your word points at all stages to your son, to the pathway we have to freedom in him and through him. For he is indeed the light of the world. And we profess and proclaim that here today. And we confess, Father, that we have missed the mark at times. It's only through your light that those things can be exposed. So, Father, we submit ourselves to your light, to your son, 
and we confess our failures to you. And we pray that that light would continue to expose those things in our lives that need to change. That we might, by our deeds, bring you glory in everything that we do, say, and think. We surrender our lives to you, O great and mighty King. And we ask that your light would indeed guide our path. May your light allow us to see clearly that we might pursue you and fix our eyes on you. In the name of that light, Yeshua, we pray. Amen. Amen. If we could all rise, please. And the Lord spoke to Moshe and said, Tell Aaron and his sons, This is the way you shall bless the children of Israel." Yivorecha Adonai Vaishmarecha May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Yeshua the Messiah, the Prince of Peace, Shalom.